In the next few weeks, a familiar greeting will be heard on our streets, in our towns and villages, in our houses, and in fact in countries right around the world. There may be some slight variations, but the general message it portrays is the same. Happy New Year, peaceful New Year, prosperous New Year, and so on. The wording may be slightly different, but the sentiment is the same. All wishing each other goodwill, peace, health, and happiness throughout the coming year. When I was a youngster in Dublin, New Year's Eve was always special. From where we lived, we could hear the sounds of the sea and the ships which plied their trade in the docks of that great city. At that time, and I'm sure probably still, there was a custom for those ships tied up on the quays to sign off the old year and then welcome the new with a cacophony of sound on their sirens and hooters. As it neared the mysterious hour, my brother and I would slip out of our beds and wait expectantly at the open window for the dissonance of conflicting sounds breaking out in the still night air. Starting with a short blast from what I imagined was a pugnacious tug or other small vessel, testing as it were the tempo, but soon joined by its rivals until a crescendo was reached only to stop abruptly as the city clocks and churches rang out the midnight hour. Then again all together ships, church bells and factory hooters would start up and then slowly die down until there was an eerie silence broken only by the odd ship wanting to show its independence with a late blast. Then, having listened to the odd passer-by in the street shouting a Happy New Year to a friend, or a reveller passing singing his old Lang Syne way home, we would scamper back to our beds and the cocoon of warm blankets. Another year had gone, and a new one had come. Oft in the stilly night, our slumber's chains hath bound me. Fond memory brings the light of other days around me. I was listening to a secular radio broadcast the other day, and the presenter addressed a situation which I felt was so opposite to this year in particular. She suggested that many people today are anxious and have a fearful spirit. Not perhaps that they are afraid of something tangible, but rather a constant nagging anxiety. They go to bed with this and wake up with it. I believe she was correct in her analysis of the current state of our nation. In fact, many today cannot see any likelihood of next year being a happy new year in any way. We look out across the British Isles and we cannot really believe that the present situation is reality. Our Parliament, once known and famous for being the mother of Parliaments, now prostituted to the harlotry of pretentious self-promotion 
and accompanying moral decline by the vast majority of its present incumbents. People see the banking industry as a totally amoral, amoral monster, headed by money-grabbing directors with little or no restraints being applied by the government and its agencies. Law and order has broken down around the land. Many elderly are afraid to go out and do their shopping, and their houses are prisons once twilight arrives. The child care services appear to be woefully inadequate and just not working in many cases. Discipline in schools is totally out of control in many instances and our town centres every weekend are no-go areas for most civilised residents. It is obvious that not many of our politicians have to live under these conditions. Alongside all of this, we are told that the Iraq war was in some ways a success and that we are progressing in the war in Afghanistan. We somehow expect to impose Western democracy on nations that have never had such a form of government and the fact that most Muslim countries do not have democracies with all the accompanying religious and normal freedoms which we take for granted is forgotten. And very sadly, we continue to see a steady stream of flag-draped coffins coming home of young men and women sacrificed in a war which many believe is perhaps a futile ironic dream of deluded politicians. Meanwhile, Tony Blair, who along with Gordon Brown led us into the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, now is making vast fortune, fortunes being a peace envoy and convert to religion. This despite the fact that his, his views on abortion, same-sex marriages and the like, which are condemned by his new faith leaders. A peace envoy responsible for hundreds of thousands of painful deaths and an equal amount of mutilations while he lives in luxury and adulation, and the land he deserted wallows in unemployment and social disarray. The Daily Telegraph recently reported that since stepping down as Prime Minister, he has accumulated around £16 million. Not bad for a new Labour politician. And also, it is costing the British taxpayer £6 million a year to protect him on government and private business trips. The man in the street finds all of the foregoing confusing. He cannot see where he fits in to all this complex jigsaw. He feels like a pawn on a gigantic chessboard, being shuffled and manipulated around. But he does not know the rules of the game. And furthermore, he fails to see who is in charge. In fact, when he just begins to understand a little of what is happening, he discovers that the rules have been changed. He may be reminded of his school days when he learned a little from Julius Caesar. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. But will he ever really understand or begin to understand his fate 
as an underling in our land today. It is little wonder, therefore, that he goes to bed anxious and wakes up anxious as well. So what can the man in the street do to regain within himself a sense of peace to enable him to live his life with a hope and expectation? To whom or to what can he turn? What does the future hold for those such as he? Now, as we look around, it's quite obvious that many today have turned to drugs, alcohol, and other excesses to help. I suggest you visit your town centre and see the result of these for yourself this weekend. And they will be back for more next weekend and the next and the next. There was a time when our man in the street would have turned to a church of any denomination or faith. But here we get, again we see a very sad situation. When I lived in Ireland, the Roman Catholic Church was respected by all its followers. But why has this situation dramatically changed? The answer is child abuse by the clergy. In a 750-page report published recently, the Commission to Enquire into the Dublin Archdiocese blamed the churches, quote, don't ask, don't tell approach for perpetuating abuse. The report said, the Commission has no doubt that clerical child abuse was covered up by the Archdiocese of Dublin and other church authorities. It went on. The structures and rules of the Catholic Church facilitated that cover-up. And the state authorities facilitated that cover-up by not fulfilling their responsibilities to ensure that the law was applied equally to all and allowing the church institutions to be beyond the reach of the normal law enforcement processes. This inquiry was headed by a, a, a woman, Judge Yvonne Murphy, and it dismissed, the Irish Times reported, it re dismissed the claims of former bishops that they did not know sex abuse was a crime. It concluded that the church hierarchy was preoccupied with, and quoting, the avoidance of scandal and the protection of the reputation of the church and the preservation of its assets. It added, all other considerations, including the welfare of children and justice for victims, were subordinated to these priorities. The situation has also been apparent in the rest of the British Isles, America and across the world, so it is little wonder that the man in the street has lost confidence in this particular church. So where does he go? The Anglican church is headed by a man who does not follow his own church's teachings clearly stated in their Book of Common Prayer. As I write, he is complaining that the government does not take religion 
and those with a faith of sorts seriously, and that Muslims are given precedence over others of a Christian persuasion. This is strange, as only a short time ago he was happy to promote Sharia law for the United Kingdom. In his book, Open to Judgment, he regards the teaching of John in Revelation as rantings and ravings. Hence, it is little wonder that the church is befuddled and goes farther from the truth of God's word with each new revision of some liturgy or other carried out in order to be in some way relevant to our man in the street. They sometimes appear to realise that this is not working. So to increase their popularity they seek unity through ecumenism with the Church of Rome and multi-faith worship services. However, unity not based on the truth of God's word is not unity but comprom compromise and confusion. Of course, the sexual problems of clergy is always to the fore and until that is dealt with in a biblical manner, this church is doomed along with most of the denominations holding similar views. Now, our man in the street may seek to find a genuine Bible-believing church. But here again, today he faces a major uphill problem. <coughs> he might be tempted to seek out the teachings of Rick Warren, America's pastor. Literally thousands of pastors around the world receive his regular newsletters setting out his teachings and ideas, sadly not all in accordance with the word of God. His purpose-driven books have sold in their millions and studied and accepted by numerous churches and also by commercial organisations as a tool for their marketing. He is approved in many of the mega seeker-friendly churches in America, such as Willow Creek, pastored by Bill Hybels, who instantly had that well-known evangelical Tony Blair to speak at his church's leaders' conference. Together these two men endorsed the teachings of Brian McLaren and others within the emerging and New Age-influenced churches, and together they provide a major avenue through which contemplative spirituality and New Age thought is entering into churches. Lighthouse Trails newsletter put it this way, as Rick Warren moves ahead towards his goal and global of global peace agenda, working with nearly anyone or any group who rallies behind him, he is moved to the forefront of evangelical leaders who are propagating the contemplative prayer movement. That's spiritual formation. In essence, he has become an evangelist for contemplative spirituality. For those who realize that contemplative uh, mystical meditation is the driving force behind the kingdom now, heaven on earth, emerging church movement, 
This is an alarming deduction. End of quote. The problems today are those foretold by the Lord Jesus, Paul and others. That of ravening wolves entering the flock and scattering the sheep. Worse still, the wolves in sheep's clothing are hirelings, not caring for the sheep within the flock. So what's the answer? Well, simply, if, if, if we can sort of simplify this, simply put it is to get back to biblical doctrines and the teachings of the apostles. Away from any tradition with man-made creeds, liturgies and dogmas, back to the word of God, the only basis of our faith. The gospel message in its simple purity must be our only rock and foundation. As Jude pointed out, he says, While I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude felt it so strongly that he wrote to them and said he wanted to be sure that they contended earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Sadly, some seek knowledge and enlightenment through church tradition, through the early fathers, through Celtic Christianity, through medieval labyrinths. In fact, they will try anything except the unadulterated faith once delivered, once for all, to the saints. Jesus said to his genuine followers I am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life and then later he went on to say in Matthew 5:14, ye are the light of the world it is my responsibility to shine for him in this dark world pointing the way like a lighthouse on the stormy sea of life to Jesus Christ, where through him alone man may receive the gift of God, eternal life here and now, in, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who will indwell and abide with each believer forever. The man on the street must be presented with the gospel in all its fullness and challenges. Challenges to his life, to his lifestyle, to his sin against the Holy God, his need for true repentance, and thereby receive forgiveness from God through the death of Jesus Christ. It is then, and then only, will he know peace in his heart and a hope for the future then the words of Jesus will ring true for him. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be 
afraid. 